If you'd turn tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I did not plan for Christafari to be here when I was teaching this passage. Uh, It happens to be where we are, so if there's any connection between the two, it's a Jesus thing, not a Jeff thing. And so as we look at this, it happens to be a passage that talks about signs of maturity, and those signs of maturity in this case were things that were dividing the church. Things that people were haggling over, very specifically two teachers, one being Paul and the other being Apollos, and he actually talks to them about them being unable to take meat but having to take milk because they were kind of stuck in a box. And so tonight, the signs of maturity, we'll take the first nine verses here. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to speak to us through his word. Father, we are so grateful for this incredible passage of Scripture that reminds us we need to grow up. Lord, we need to stop being babies. And Lord, learn how to be mature. And God, that means that those of us that have walked with you for a long time shouldn't have a binky in our mouth tonight, spiritually speaking. Lord, we we ought not be sipping on a sippy cup. We should be able to handle a steak and not need strained peas. And so, Lord, would you instruct us from heaven? We're so grateful that you love us with all of our warts and wrinkles and flaws. God, in all of the incredible diversity in this church, that you love every last one of us. And Jesus, you died for us. And so thank you, God. Speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 3 And I, brethren, now remember that he's talked to us about uh, this maturity that we ought to have really being useful to the king and to the kingdom in in the previous chapters. He says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal. That's a sad addressing of a body of believers that the words that come out of the Apostle Paul's mouth is, I can't talk to you as though you're mature. I have to talk to you as though you're not really even believers. You see, the longer we walk with the Lord, the more mature we ought to be. And the more mature we are, the more like Jesus we ought to be. And if we're like Jesus, we're going to model the word in its marvelous complexity in a way that it's visible to the rest of the world. And so he begins by saying, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as to people who are carnal or of the flesh. And in fact, if you're in here and you speak Spanish, the word for meat is carne. eh? It's the same deal. It's flesh. It's like what we're made out of to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. You still got a sippy cup going on. For unto now you you were not able to receive it, but even now you are still not able, for you're still carnal. Before anybody in here gets beat up, it's not my intent, and and I don't believe it's the intent of the word here. But it is instructive, and it's indicative of our propensity to stay 
as children in Christ, babes in Christ. And I want to ask you just a simple question as we begin. Do you know someone in your life, or maybe are you that someone who seemingly is in a perpetual state of infancy in Christ? They haven't grown. I can tell you as a pastor, I have witnessed people in church for decades who are seemingly still in exactly the same place as when they came to know Christ. They move a little, they go back. They go forward, they backslide. They they walk with the Lord, then they don't walk with the Lord. They stay immature. And one of the things that stands out almost without exception in people who are not mature in Christ is they are absolutely those who cause division because they have an opinion about everything. They have to tell you how they feel about every single nuance of everyone else's spiritual walk except their own. They pick, they choose, and they absolutely will tell you without any hesitation everything that's wrong. They're side pickers. They got a favorite teacher, they got a favorite pastor, they have a favorite church, and it is never your church, and it is never your pastor. It's like they wouldn't be happy if the gospel were made of gold and they had a bucket of it. They're constantly in the state of walking around with a spiritual scowl on their face because they're not getting what they want. You're still carnal. Now notice this. I'm not making this stuff up. For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? When I'm of Greg Glory, or I'm of Raul Reese, or I'm of Jeff Gill, or I'm of Chuck Smith, or I'm of Billy Graham, or I'm of, I'm of, I'm one of the I'm of brothers. They're famous Russians. They're Baptists, mostly. No, I'm just Some of you are like, they are? <laughs> really? No, we, we, we pick our sides and we choose. And what ultimately happens when we do that is we set brothers and sisters against brothers and sisters. And so all of a sudden, well, you know, we do this and we do that. And you can tell when it's not of the Lord because it comes out as envy and strife and division. It's really clear here. The signs of maturity are the lack of envy and of strife and of division. Mature brothers and sisters in the Lord lose those things because they realize a central truth that's being put forth here. 
There is no such thing as a perfect person, nor is there a perfect church. We have to get this. Because if we don't get this, then we start looking for perfection in people. And let me tell you something, you're not going to find it. (laughs) Those of you that are married, is your spouse perfect? You can say no, honey. (laughs) Because it's true. I am not perfect. I have my faults and my weaknesses. There's not a person in this room that does not have faults and weaknesses. And when you get a thousand or so of us together, there's going to be a lot of faults and weaknesses. Amen? So what do you think? How tough do you think it's going to be to find in this room a whole bunch of theological and spiritual and church-related faults and weaknesses? It's going to be real easy, isn't it? So if we start making up our own little clubs, well, we're in the we sit in the back because it's too loud club. That's why we have a back is for you people. And, and if you're in the back and you can't hear because you like it louder, we have the I like it loud club right up here in the front. You see, it's hallelujah. And the reason I'm saying this is if we don't think this way, then here's what happens. Well, I'm going to stop going to that church because three years ago they had reggae. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? And this is what happens. And all of a sudden, well, you know, the church is going downhill fast. (laughs) Do you know what Rastafarians are? (laughs) I'm going to get emails. And all of a sudden, the division begins to happen, and people are like, I can't believe that he brought those people, and there was dancing. (laughs) Hallelujah, praise the Lord, because some of y'all need to be busted up a bit. It's like we get in our own little worlds, and are you not carnal is what it says. You can tell when we're not walking with the Lord, when we become inflexible, and when we stop enjoying diversity, and we start complaining about every little thing that doesn't fit our own personal criteria. That's carnality. That's not from the Lord. Who then is Paul? I want you to read this very carefully. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. As the Lord gave to each one, I, Paul, planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. When you hear me say in this church, this church is not my church, that's what I mean. This church is God's church. And anything that happens in it that's good is from him. And if it's messed up, please blame it on me because I probably am at fault. I'm a man. Every one of our pastors, every person that's on staff here, and all of you are people. 
We're people. We, in that sense, are not the focus. God is the focus. Always has been and always will be, family. This church is about the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified for the remission of sin, and without him there's no reason for any of us to be here. Amen? So look what he says. He says, look, God gave the increase, so neither he who plants is anything. Nothing. The inference there is Paul is nothing in this context. Apollos, the one who waters. God gave the increase. He who waters, but God gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters, check this out, are one. Was Paul Apollos? No. Was Apollos Paul? No. Did they both have gifts? Yes. Did each one of, were, was each one of them used by the Lord? Absolutely. Were they used identically? No. Did their ministry look the same? No, it did not. They were completely and utterly different in the way that they handled ministry. One planted, planted the other one watered. It did not look the same. And yet, what does Scripture say about them? They are one. Why? Because the focus was never Paul. The focus is not Jeff. The focus is not Calvary Chapel. The focus is not evangelical Christendom. The focus is Christ. That's the focus of ministry. Ministry is about bringing people to the lordship of Jesus Christ by grace and through faith. And so in that sense... The planter and the waterer are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. In other words, there are people who have the gift of evangelism. There are people who are absolutely those who are edifiers and builders of the body of Christ. There are people who are good with the prophetic word. There are people who have been gifted with all kinds of things. And when we get to chapters 12 and 13 and 14, we'll see these things. But if we're really mature, if this church is strong, then it's not ever going to be about one person. It's not going to be about differences. It's going to be about what draws us together. It's going to be about the one God. For we are God's fellow workers. We're in this together with God, this thing called ministry. You are God's field, and you are God's building. Incredible passage of Scripture. You see, the gospel life in that sense is a maturing life. We go from maturity to greater maturity. We go from being a disciple to being a discipler. We go from being someone who's a babe in Christ to someone who's an adult in Christ. That's the process we call sanctification. I begin as a disciple. You see, when Jesus gives the great commandment, and he says, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, 
the first step of discipleship is becoming a believer, amen? So that's where you start. That happens by grace and through faith, and the faith is a gift. But from there you grow and you mature. And here's what happens if you really mature. You start to realize, I am nothing compared to my Savior. Does he use me? Yeah. Has he given me some gifts? Yes, and he has all of you as well. But this is not about me, it's about him. And it kind of brings us to a question, really, what is the work of the ministry? This is a ministry. What is the work that we're supposed to be doing here? Would you turn with me to Ephesians 4, please? And I want you to notice something here. Verse 11, it begins, and he himself, that would be he, Jesus, he, Jesus who is God, God incarnate in human flesh, he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, and here it comes. Here it is, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And guess who the saints are? It's you. The work of the ministry is, in essence, beginning hopefully here by me speaking forth the word into your life and you get excited about what God's doing in your life, equipping you for the work of the ministry. It's not for me. It's not for the pastoral staff to run around and try and do everything. We're supposed to be equipping you for the work of the ministry. You become the missionaries. You become the evangelists. You become the teachers. You become the pastors. You are being equipped for the work that God has for you. That's how the gospel is supposed to spread. It's not if I have to reach all of the 7 billion people on the face of the earth... I I think they're going to miss out. God's preparing you, us, for the work of the ministry. So if he's preparing all of us, guess what needs to happen if we're being sent out on a common mission? We need to get along. We need to love each other as Christ has loved the church and given himself for it. We all need to be servants of the Most High God. We cannot be divided. So he tells us, look, here's the marks of immaturity. Envy, strife, and division. Envy, strife, and division are marks of people who are not unified under the one cause, the one head, which is the cause of the gospel through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while I'm saying this, let me be really clear here. If we're actually in the Lord's ministry, then we ought to be able to get along. Now, when you can't get along with people who also profess to be Christians, there's a problem. We should look at it that way because it helps us. Our little maturity meter goes off. My maturo meter. Bink! It's like, man, Lord, I'm being divisive. Lord, I'm sorry, I'm envious of that person's gifts. Lord, I'm getting in the middle of this and I'm kind of causing some friction, some strife. You can instantly say, baby. Right? 
Isn't that what it says? I'm not interjecting anything here. It says you couldn't handle me talking to you as an adult, basically. I got to talk to you as a baby because all you're concerned about is what you want. And the result of that is strife, envy, and division. You want to have Paul instead of Apollos. And I will save all the other things that we could throw in there because there's a whole bunch of them. But you understand what the, the gospel is, is saying to us in this sense that it's being worked out in our lives. It's basically saying, look, the first step is stop being a baby. Now, I don't know how many of you remember <laughs> your favorite teachers in, in any particular grade. But I remember my physics teacher. Everybody loved him. Why? Because he let us blow stuff up. (laughs) He didn't care if you made paper airplanes. He called them experiments. Wow, that's pretty aerodynamic. So everybody, everyone, loved Mr. Nolan. It's like, wow, can I get in his class? Why? Because I can blow stuff up and I can make paper airplanes and I can get an A for it. But you know what? He wasn't really all that good a teacher. He was just everybody's favorite because he told us what we wanted to hear. You see, sometimes we pick our favorite pastor or our favorite teacher or our favorite church because they tell us what we want to hear. Can I tell you, your Bible does not do that. The word of God, which most of you hold in your hands, is going to offend you frequently and often. It's going to call into question your motivation on a lot of things. It's actually going to examine your life. It is suitable for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And so when you read the word of God, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to go, man, I need to grow up in that area. If you're really maturing, you're going to stop being a baby in that sense. You're going to stop worrying about things that don't matter. What matters is that the church get along. What matters is that we look at one another and go, man, I used to be like that myself. Praise God, I'm not like that, but I understand why that person is like that. Instead of, I can't believe they come to church. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing how we get caught up in our own little world and we're worrying about all these things that when we get to heaven are not going to matter to God. Nobody's, well, you were in that church that had the gray wall. Sorry, got to go back. A consistent pattern of growth ought to exist in our lives. We grow up. And to that end, when you think about it, really what he's saying here, and for those of you, again, that have had children, you you know what's coming. It's milk or meat. You know, we should be able to handle solid food. You know those things that that you... when, you're, when you first have your children, 
you guys know they don't come with manuals, right? You know, it's like, here's your child. Mr. and Mrs. Gill, you can take them home now. Well, what do we do? They don't tell you, well, you have to feed, you know, you do this and this, and if you do this, it's not going to go good for you, and nobody gives you a manual. But there's a couple of things you learn pretty quick. You do not carve off a hunk of prime rib and stick it in your baby's mouth. (laughs) They can't handle it. You're going to be doing Heimlich maneuvers. It's like, that should not be in that baby's mouth. What needs to be in that baby's mouth is milk. But once they grow up, you keep serving them milk, they are not going to grow up. They'll be stunted in their growth. They need some protein. They need to chew on something. And so this spiritual picture that comes from this says, look, I had to feed you milk and not solid food because you couldn't handle anything stronger. You couldn't take it. You got so used to sucking on that sippy cup that the moment that something, you start gasping and, I can't help. And so when the word comes into your life, all of a sudden that truth that you should be able to handle, you can't handle. You, You can't handle it. It's like, I can't believe this. I can't believe Pastor Jeff told me that. He actually questioned whether I should be at the marijuana dispensary or not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I say that, and you know, it's like I'm trying to help you and protect you. I can't believe he took away my freedom. I'm not taking anybody's freedom, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. You can't handle the truth. You're supposed to go, "Mm, maybe I need to grow up a little bit. That's what should happen. You should be able to handle some meat. Paul had to keep feeding them according to what they could handle. You know, and and some Christians are just like spiritual frogs. They they just jump from one thing. They oh, they're great at worshiping, but they're not good at waiting. And then they're not good at working, and they just go bounce back and forth. And it's like, look, we, we need to put these things together. We're, we're supposed to be trying to grasp the things that God wants to say to us, and, and we should grow and, and ultimately get going. And instead of like kind of sitting and forgetting, and we're like, oh, I don't know anything about that. We need to start having a good diet of things that will change our lives. And instead, with this particular group, they stayed spiritual infants, and basically they were kind of what I like to call the carnal diet. Not carne like meat, but carnal as in fleshly. So if it didn't agree with their flesh, they didn't like it. If it didn't make them happy with their own ability to call the shots, they didn't like it. You can tell a lot about where people are with the Lord by what they like. The movies you watch, the media you choose to see, the language that you use, the habits that you have, your hunger for the word and for prayer, your care for the things of God, the way you handle your resources are all indicative of how mature you are. And if they are you-focused, 
then you can pretty much guarantee that you have some growth to do. We should be growing. It should be others-focused. It should be Jesus-focused. The mature Christian practices what Scripture says we ought to be. Immature Christians, we, we look exactly like the world. And you probably remember this. When you first came to Christ, you were doing good not to shoot up. You were doing good not to be in that relationship that you were in the week before. You were doing good to not be stealing what you were stealing last week. You were doing good, some of you, just to get up in the morning. Amen? So that actually is growth at that point in time. But you shouldn't still be worrying about that 10 years later. That's lack of maturity. That's not growing up. God wants us to mature. He wants us to move on. He said, look, don't stay on the carnal diet. You need to be loving. You need to be tending. You need to be feeding. You should be busy about your father's business. Please don't be put off by what I'm saying here. I'm saying to you, if you want the fullness of what God has for you, there should be a level of maturity that consistently changes for the better in your life as a believer. You should be going up, not down. It's not that hard. You should be going forward, not back. It's not that hard. You have to give those things to the Lord, those things that are bogging you down. I've met so many Christians that are lugging around some kind of backpack filled with the rocks of this life, and they're not going forward because they're weighted down by the junk that they brought with them from the world. For those of you that have been married for a while, there's a couple of things that you understand. We collect stuff. Amen? Some of you senior saints say amen. Amen. You know how I know this? Go in your attic. Honey, do you know what's in this box? No. You know what's in this box? No. Do you know what's in any of these boxes? No. Why do we have them? I don't know. They're part of our old life. So they're valuable. Honey, there's rats in this box. There's rat droppings in this box. There's, this is disgusting. Why are we keeping it? Well, because it's part of our old life. Can I tell you some Christians hang on to parts of their old spiritual life for the same exact reason? It's part of who I used to be. But it's not who you are today. Sometimes if you're mature... You just have to realize that stuff's got to go. And oh, isn't it liberating. You take that box out to the trash bin. I will never have to move this again. I don't even know what's in it, but the rats got to it, so it's going. And all of a sudden, you're not carrying that weight around. You're liberated. You see, there's a freedom in maturity. You start caring about things that matter. You start holding dear those things that are really precious. And the same is true in your spiritual life. You see, God's work ultimately is teamwork 
And the way you get there is by being adults, not kind of selfish Bible brats, you know? As parents, you know, you know this is true. If you don't have children, you're going to figure this out either through your cousins, nieces, nephews, or whatever. You, when you see children interact, they're selfish, aren't they? They really are. You put them, man, if you've not ever taken a long car ride with children, you need to just borrow somebody's kids and tell them you're taking them for a drive. And after about three or four hours, you're on my side of the crack. You got three more Cheetos than I got. <laughs> Can we stop? I have to go to the bathroom. Don't stop. I want to go over there. You know, it's just like everybody wants what they want, and they want it now. And you're like, oh, I'm going to pull over right now. And for like three seconds, there's a truce that's called, right? And then the real kid comes back out. You got another Cheeto. That's, that's being childish. It's not being a good team player. And so Paul basically says, he says, look, Paul and Apollos, I am with Apollos. We're on the same team. We're not on different teams. We play different positions. And it doesn't matter what sport you use as an analogy. If it's a team sport, you need all of the position players. If it's baseball, the pitcher cannot pitch to himself, amen? Like throws the ball like as high as he possibly can, runs behind the plate and hopes it comes down right over the plate. No, you can't do that. It's football. The tight end's running the route. The quarterback's got to hit the tight end, and in the meantime, the line's got to be blocking for him. He's going to eat grass. The same is true in the Bible world, in the Christian world. We need each other. We need every position player playing his or her position. And there are uniquenesses to those positions. There are beautiful things about those positions, but we need every player on the team. We need Paul's. We need Apollos's. We need children's ministry. We need front office. We need greeters. We need ushers. We need those that prepare communion. We need Sunday school teachers. We need graphic artists. We need IT professionals. We need sound engineers. We need musicians. We need people with the gift of worship and the gift of teaching and the gift of prophecy. We need every last one of those gifts for the church to be a mature church. You see, a mature church is a church where teamwork is absolutely obvious and it is very normal. God's work in that sense requires it. But here's the crazy thing about it. If we will do our part, the results are up to God. God brings the increase. God brings the fruit to fruition. God's the one that's responsible for taking our meager efforts are sometimes poor position play and putting them together in some form of a teamwork of cohesiveness that does something for his kingdom. That is both the beauty and the challenge of ministry. And as you think about your own place in this, remember you matter. You matter. 
Prayer warriors matter. People who have the ability to give matter. People who are very patient with people who are impatient, like me, matter. You see, you matter. And so Paul's saying, look, I want to talk to you like adults, but you're all hung up on who's teaching today. I was talking to Pastor Chuck one time, and as you might imagine, nobody actually liked to fill Pastor Chuck's pulpit because he's Pastor Chuck. So it's like the guy that founds Calvary Chapel, it's like he come and teach. You know, I was actually told by the board that there was normally between a 30 and a 40% reduction in giving when Pastor Chuck was out of the pulpit. You know, when you give in the church, you're not giving to me. You're not giving to the church board. You're not actually giving to the church. You're giving to the Lord. <laughs> That's God's money. It doesn't even belong to us in the first. Nothing belongs to us. It's all his to begin with. And I'm using this by way of example. It shouldn't matter who's in the pulpit as to whether you come to church or not. You come to church because you love God. And if you love God, you love God's people, and you want to be around God's people and hear what God's word has to say through almost anyone who will speak it. As long as it's not heresy. You come to worship the Lord, not because your favorite band is here, but because you love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Amen? Amen. Here's why this is important. If you get that part, you can go sit under a tree in a sweltering Central American country and have a five-hour church service where you have two tuba players, both of whom are out of key, but they love the Lord and you can praise Jesus. Amen? Or you can be blessed with something super diverse like we had tonight with Christ Afari, and you can enjoy the presence of the Lord in both places because you're not looking at the instrument, you're looking at the Lord. We need to start looking at God and stop looking at ourselves. And if we'll do that, if we'll get our focus right, then God will do the work through us. That's the promise here. If we focus on him, then it's his responsibility to bring forth the harvest. It's his responsibility for the growth of the church. It's his responsibility to bring people to faith. All we can do is point people to Jesus. As I was reading, I... I, I just got stuck on this passage this afternoon. I like read it and I reread it and then I reread my rereading and then I re-put notes in my other notes and so I don't even know what I said tonight. It's a Holy Spirit thing. But I know this. The marks of maturity are not envy and strife and division. The marks of maturity are people who, no matter what's going on, can focus on God. And they can love God and they can love people because Christ came to die for people. Amen? Amen. Not buildings, not pews, not lights or no lights, not video, no video, not dancing, no dancing, not 
horns, no horns. And the reason I'm saying this is important for us because God's not those things. He is enthroned in heaven. And and he is a diverse, beautiful God that the book of Ezekiel says likens his glory to a rainbow. And so if we'll focus on him, then whatever we see down here is going to be okay. Because God wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. He wants us to be collective in our effort to see other people come to know him and love him just as we do. Amen? Would you stand and let's close in prayer. Christ Safari is going to come back out. I think they're going to do one more song. I'll give them some time. I may have stopped before they realized I was going to stop. But I want to just encourage you. That is so amazing. When you think about what God has done to make us into one body, just as Ephesians 4 clearly says, there's one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord who's Lord over all. When you think about that unity and that diversity, it is not uniformity. It's not everything looks the same. It's not cookie cutter. It allows for the beauty of who we are as humankind. And it allows for us to be used of the Lord in our uniquenesses. And when you see that for what it is, then it allows us to be who we are. And we together are always better than we individually. Because your gifts complement mine, mine complement yours. Your, your diverse ability in Christ is something that is so precious to God that he created you in Christ Jesus for good works before the foundations of the world were ever laid. And I pray we walk in that. Because the world has still time left in the age of grace. And you have unique, wonderful opportunity right where you're you're at to reach somebody for the king. And if we'll each take up that call, we can get the job done of seeing people come to face so we can all go home. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for tonight. And we pray, Lord, that you would take us and make us mature, Lord. Help us to no longer need milk, to be able to take in that big piece of spiritual steak and chew on it. Maybe, Lord, that somebody wants eggplant and... God, it's not to to speak to some kind of diet physically, but spiritually, Lord, could we handle anything and everything because we care about what you care about. And so, Lord, we ask you to bless us, cause us to grow, help us to mature. In Jesus' name, amen.